So we're going to do things a little bit differently this morning, and we're going to end with worship, and we're going to start with a message. And and I just, uh, Dave and I were chatting about this earlier, and how overwhelming this passage of scripture is, and it's and it's it's big, and it's 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 extensive, and and there's so much that you can go through when you go read through Acts two, and and we kind of as a church have been leading up to this point for a while. And, and I'm excited to see what happens, but I was reading a book and I've been working through this book for a while and it's called Dangerous Calling. And it's a book that speaks to the, the health of pastoral ministry and basically the fact that it's a dangerous calling and often leads to guys being burnt out and, and this guy basically takes it back to you've got to kind of keep reminding yourself of the gospel that you tell others to receive. But I'm in a portion of the book where it speaks about losing the awe of the majesty of God. And he's saying it's actually a privilege that we get so accustomed to things happening that are supernatural and amazing and, and incredible that we actually become almost apathetic to it. It becomes the norm. And, and one of the risks is we lose our awe of who God is. And the, the, the scripture I want to start off with this morning is Psalm 114, and it's verse 7 and, and 8, and it says here, Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. And, and this morning, as, as the introduction, I just want to remind us, that the presence of God is something incredible. Um, Tyron Daniel shared something with us a little while ago, and he was talking about the difference between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. He says there's a distinction between understanding that God is everywhere, omnipresent, versus the manifest presence of God. God is here. And, and this scripture, I think, just speaks of something of that. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. And there's something of that that we see unfold in Pentecost and the outpouring of Holy Spirit that really releases something that is so incredible and so supernatural. But I want us to position ourselves, as Shanae was saying, in a place where we get to tremble at the presence of God. And that is not a fearful trembling, but a standing in awe at the fact that God is here. And He is ready, He is excited, and, and He's desperate to spend time with us, to reveal himself to us. So, this passage of scripture that we keep going back to and it's been consistent is Acts 1 verse 4 to 5. And this is Jesus speaking to the disciples and he says, While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. John, For John baptized, baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So now the word baptized is baptizo, is the, the Greek. And it means to fully submerge or fully immerse. So he's saying you've been baptized with water, you've been immersed in water. But not many days from now you will be baptized, fully immersed, submerged in the Holy Spirit. And I love the distinction uh, that I heard a guy once make where he said, um, when we get saved, we receive the Holy Spirit. It says, but there's a difference between receiving the Holy Spirit through salvation and being baptized into the Spirit. 
And, and he likened it to, there's a difference between drinking water and the water being in you and diving into the ocean and, and you being in the water. And uh, last night I had a dream and it was quite a weird dream. But I, I, I was surfing and I was out in the water and, and the current was incredibly strong. And I remember getting sucked out and, and my board disappeared and, and I, was, I was just in a place where I was fully surrendered to the water because I actually couldn't fight it. And I almost in a bit of a panic thinking, I've got to try and, and fight this. And then there was a moment where I just relaxed and I allowed myself to be surrendered to the water that was, was around me. And I think there's something of that where when we surrender, Shanae was saying, put our hands out and surrender to the power of God, something incredible happens. But in Acts 2, this, this time of Pentecost was the first time we see the outworking of baptism into the Holy Spirit. And there, I want to highlight some points. I want to go through some things. I want to... I know that what we're going to go through today is an absolute smidgen of what is inside this passage of Scripture. And we're probably going to go back to this for years to come and, and break open more and look at it from different perspectives and just understand that there's so much in this. But, but I think there's something that God wants to share with us this morning and, I, and I'm excited for it and, and I want to just be ready to stand and tremble at the presence of God. So I want to read through, and we're going to read Acts 2, and I'm not going to go through the whole, the whole chapter, but I'm going to jump around a little bit, but I want to read from verse 1 to 21 first, and it says here, When the day of Pentecost arrived, the disciples were told to wait, but the, the day arrived. Um, I'm reminded of, of the movie Frozen, and one of the first opening scenes is the, the day of the ordination, or the, I think it's ordination, the day, the, where, where Elsa's becoming queen arrives, and Anna wakes up, and she goes, it's arrived, the day's here, there was an excitement, and there was this jubilation, the day had arrived, they had been waiting for a moment such as this, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, so like us here, they were gathered. We know from Acts 1 it was 120 people. They were, they were gathering. They, they had been praying. There was just this, this kind of cohesion. I'm sure they must have fellowshiped together. I'm sure they must have broken bread. They must have eaten. But they were together in one place. It says, and suddenly. Remember hearing a statement years ago and it says, the suddenlies of God are more sudden than we think, yet we're more prepared than we think we are. So the suddenlies of God come through and, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit starts coming as the wind because the word spirit is pneuma in, in the Greek. Um, ruach in, in, in the Hebrew, which means wind, breath, spirit. In, in the New Testament, it's pneuma. From that we get pneumatics. So if you go look at pneumatic uh, tools, they're all air-powered compressed air and you get a pneumatic drill or pneumatic sander or whatever, it's air powered. So we get pneumatic from this and, and it says that it was a mighty rushing wind. The Holy Spirit came and it says, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. It didn't just kind of come around them. It filled the entire house. 
and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they were fully in the Spirit and the Spirit became fully in them. So they were all filled with the Spirit as they were in the Spirit. He filled the entire room. There was not a, a, a place in that room that was not filled by him. It says, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Remember reading a book called They Told Their Stories, and it was a man who went and he interviewed people who had been exposed to the Azusa Street Revival. And, and one of the stories was of a little girl. And now you've got to know that the ladies who were involved in this revival, the ones that were, that was uh, William Seymour and a couple of ladies, they were about 15 or 16 years old. So the, 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 the ladies were 15, 16. You don't know a little girl is a little girl. And there was a man from India who happened to arrive there and he got there, could hardly speak any English and he found himself standing in the Azusa Street Revival. And this little girl pulls a box up, puts it in front of the man, stands up and starts speaking to the man in other tongues. Unbeknown to her, she was speaking fluent Hindi told the man his life story and shared the gospel message with him, which he then recounted that she was actually speaking to him in Hindi. He leaves America, goes back, and starts preaching the gospel in India. It says here, And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound, so there was a physical manifestation of a spiritual outpouring. At this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. It's amazing and, and something that Emmanuel keeps pointing out in this passage of scripture is that it was almost the reverse of Babylon. When the, when the Tower of Babel was, was built and they, were, they, they, they started to, to build this, this, this kind of altar, what happens is God gave each one of them a, a different language and scattered them. Here, all these nations were gathered. And what happened is they started to hear people speak in their own languages. It was the, the, there was this division that was brought because people were doing it for the wrong reasons. And now with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there starts to be this unity of actually coming through and saying, come, let's gather and we're going to be unified despite our differences. And it says, and they were amazed and astonished. They were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and, and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, uh, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. You don't know that the men didn't know what they were saying. Like this little girl did not speak Hindi. She was just speaking. Yet the man heard in his own language because he happened to be there in this moment. Dave was saying this morning how 
you got to know how incredible the timing of Pentecost was because everyone had gathered in that place and, and there was a crowd ready to receive what God, what God was doing. He brought them together. One of my favorite words, you'll hear me say this often, is the word carer in the Bible. And, and what it means is it so happened. It so happened that all these people were there. Do we realize the divine orchestration that had to take place for it to so happen that all of these people were gathered in this time for this moment so that when Holy Spirit came, they were there to witness. It says, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mockingly said, They are filled with new wine. The reality is, is when there's this outpouring, when revival strikes, there still will be those who witness, who experience, and are skeptical. And that breaks my heart to know that there are still those who witness this and look and say, <laughs> look at these guys, they're filled with new wine. still love the imagery of that though because the Bible says you can't put new wine into an old wineskin. And, and there's, there's something of the fact that this is new wine that was being poured out. But it wasn't wine in the physical, it was new wine in the spiritual. And they were mocking them, but there was something even in their mocking that was a prophetic declaration or a prophetic realization of the things that Jesus had spoken. In verse 14 it says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. So it's nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, declares, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall, shall, shall see visions. See, she sells she swords on the... <laughs> Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So it's men, women, old, young, and um, servants, which means that the converse of that would be the wealthy, or those who aren't servants. So... There's a divide across every different possibility in amongst men of different cultures and different races. So you don't know when, when this is being preached, what happens is there's an opportunity for everyone to receive the gift of the Spirit. This is what's being presented to the people. It says, And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I want to jump to verse 36 to 41. And it says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, this is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. So both Lord and Messiah. This Jesus 
whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brother, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, to exhort to build them up, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word and were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. You know, now in the three years of Jesus' ministry, he had kind of built a group, gathered a group of 120 people. Pentecost, outpouring of Holy Spirit, and 3,000 souls were added to their number instantaneously. Supernatural multiplication. So the immediate byproduct of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was to distinguish the twelve from the crowd. Right? So something happened, and, and, and I say the twelve, the, the hundred and twenty were distinguished, but there was something, the twelve stood up, but Peter and the, and the other eleven stood up. There was something that, that they were distinguished from the crowd. And then Peter says, you have access to what we've just experienced. And I was thinking of, I was watching a documentary on Michael Jordan a little while ago, and when he signed um, with Nike to get the, the Air Jordans, it spread like wildfire through the schools. And, they, and, and every kid wanted a pair of Air Jordans so they could be like Michael. That was something. I mean, they, Nike couldn't, comp, couldn't cope with the demand. And to this day, Air Jordans, I think, are still the, the highest grossing sneaker in the, in the world. Because they wanted something to be like Michael. There was a little movie, that, uh, and it was called Like Mike, if I remember correctly. And this kid got this pair of, of Michael Jordan shoes, and it turned him into this like basketball superstar. They looked at this guy, and they wanted to be like him. When we came to KZN, it's been one of the hardest things for me, is to determine what hobbies I do. Because every person I speak to is super passionate about what they do, and, and, and they convince me. I'm, I'm, I'm in. So I, I go and, and I have coffee with a guy, he's um, one of the pastors at a church uh, down the road here, and I had coffee with him, and he's into spearfishing. And, and by the time I left, I thought, I've got to go get spearfishing stuff. I, like, this, this sounds amazing. And, and then I, I chat with another friend, and he's into kite surfing. So I've got to go get kite surfing stuff. And, and then you've got the surfing, and I, I've got to go get a surfboard. And, and before you know it, like, I am bankrupt and, and, and I've got no time on my hands because all I want to do is buy stuff because these guys who are passionate about it convince me that, that I am going to be blown away by doing this. So I want to get fishing skis. I want to, I, there's, if I had to actually go out and buy everything that I want to do, it would, be, it would be quite a problem. But there's something about recognizing that in someone else. And we look at and we say, I want what they've got. I remember the first sermon that I can fully remember was on, on the 5th of May, 2005. 6th of May, 2005. And I was at youth. 
And I had gone to youth because there was a girl there who I was interested in. So I did not go there to hear the word. I did not go there to meet with Jesus. I did not go there for anything other than my mom used to drag me to church on a Sunday. And I saw this girl. I heard that she goes to youth. And I'm thinking, this is my inn. <laughs> and a guy who subsequently became one of my closest friends was preaching. And he preached on Matthew eleven twenty eight. And he spoke about, take my, my yoke upon me, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And he broke open the scriptures. He gave the analogy of how a, a, a mature oxen gets yoked to a, an immature ox. And, and what happens is the immature ox starts pushing, and the mature ox knows which way to walk. And he walks in step with what needs to happen. And there's this chafing that happens. And, and I just listened to him unpack this passage of scripture. And I looked at him, I looked at this girl, and I thought... Why would a girl like that ever be interested in a guy like me when there's a guy like this sitting here? I wanted what he had. I gave my life that day. Never forget that scripture. Never forget the unpacking of it. Because in it, I saw him and God allowed him to be distinguished in that moment. And he, through what he said, invited me and said, but you've got access to this, and this is how. And I gave my life, and, and I'll forever be grateful for that moment. But what happens here with the 12 is there's something of a distinguishing. I'm trusting as revival comes, we don't have to pray for Pentecost again. Pentecost happened. But we still have access to the same things from Pentecost. We still have access to the same manifestations of Holy Spirit from Pentecost. And, and there's something about that. Revival start with someone or a small group who gets set apart. They become distinguished by Holy Spirit. And people look at them and want what they've got. And that's where this, the birth of revival. So we look at William Seymour. He was a, a, a black man in a time where that was not, not a good thing in America. God gives him a vision and says, go and travel through to this town. And there's a group of ladies who are busy praying. Follows directions of Holy Spirit, lands up at a prayer meeting where these group of 15, 16 year old girls were praying. They were white, he was black. And, and there's something of a, a happening that takes place. And the Azusa Street revival sparks off. See the same thing in the Welsh revival. It, there's this, this moment where a person's life is completely transformed. People see it and they say, sure, I want what they've got. The Welsh Revival, they had to close down prisons, they had to close down bars because they had no business. Something happened where this mining community got impacted because of a 12-year-old little boy who had this encounter with Jesus, encounter with the Spirit, and, and, and people looked and said, I want what they've got. So Peter, in this time, he starts to share, but don't worry, you have access to what we've got. The thing about the outpouring of Holy Spirit is it's both corporate and it's personal. That's my second point this morning. 
is, it says the entire house was filled, right? So everyone, the whole group experienced Holy Spirit. And it says, and tongues of fire rested on each one of them. So not only was it this corporate thing, this corporate manifestation, there was a personal encounter for each one. It speaks about the multitude heard the sound and they came, but they heard each one in his own language. The multitude, corporate, each one in his own language was personal. We see this with Jesus when he walks through the crowd and you get Jairus comes and stops him and he says, my daughter, my daughter, you need to come. And Jesus on his way, so he's in the crowd, corporate, Jairus, personal. He then meets the woman with the blood, personal. They all get to witness at corporate. And there's this, it's amazing how when, when, when these things happen, there's this corporate and a personal outworking. If you go read through it, and this is something that we'll, we'll get to and we'll teach on one day. And it, unfortunately, it's probably become quite a controversial topic in, in the world that we live in at the moment. But if you go read through 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 Corinthians 14, it speaks about the fact that you've got tongues of men and tongues of angels. Tongues of men is what we see happening here, where you're speaking in another tongue, but someone's understanding you because you're actually speaking in a human language. Then you've got the tongues of angels, which is uttering words that we don't understand, but we're speaking to God. And, and so you've got two distinctions of tongues, but the one is corporate and the other one is personal. We then see in 1 Corinthians 14, where it speaks about the outworking of this, and it says, pray in tongues to build yourself up, personal, but prophesy to build up the church corporate. So when you're in meetings like this, we're not here to build ourselves up. We're here to, to edify the church corporately. So it's not, we don't want like, just chaos. We, we're actually coming to edify the church. But Paul says, but of all of you, I pray in tongues the most because we know that we cannot give of what we do not have. So when we build ourselves up, there's something of a building up so that we can impart corporately. So that the beautiful thing about outpouring of the Holy Spirit is not just to to go stand there and, and have this encounter that, that is just about us. It's always in us, through us, for the corporate meeting, for the people around us, because he's not just interested in us as an individual, he's interested in the crowd as well. And it's amazing how Jesus operates like us, and we see the outworking of this in Scripture. And here in Acts, in this Pentecostal outpouring, we see this corporate and we see this personal thing where the crowd start to meet Jesus in their personal capacity. Peter has an incredible moment. You've got to know, Peter denied Christ. He had this time and, and he stands on the beach and Jesus restores him. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And there's this restoration. But Peter, who when the, 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 the rubber met the road, was, was in a place where he couldn't stand up with boldness and, and he lands up denying Jesus is the one who stands up here with a supernatural boldness and the courage. And we see the full restoration in the personal life of Peter. The releasing, the commissioning, the equipping, and, the, and, and, and this anointing that comes upon him to be the one who preaches this message as the Spirit gives him utterance. And it says the crowd were cut to the heart. The same Peter that not long before stood and denied Jesus. And I love how God breaks open crowds of people and ministers to individuals. 
And he gives us this mission and mandate saying, now that you know me, it's not about you, but go into the world and make disciples. Have this outward focus. I often say it's amazing when you look at mothers and fathers hold babies. Mothers hold their babies and they hold them like this. Fathers turn them around and they hold them looking out. There's something of this picture where both are important. You need the nurturing of holding and being and held close, which God does with us. But then he turns us around and he says, now you see. So fathers often walk with their babies with their back against his chest and he'll hold them as they look out and see what he sees. But a mother will turn a baby through and they will see the mother and they will be held close. Isaiah 40 says he gently leads those who have young. He lifts them up and holds them close to his heart. So he has this personal encounter. He turns us around and he says, now you see what I see. You see them the way that I see them. I remember walking through four ways more one day, feeling horribly judgmental. And I was looking at young girls dressed super inappropriately. And, and, I, and I just looked at this and I was angry. And I, why is this happening? And, and, and God convicted my heart and he started to show me hurts in their lives. And I remember walking through the mall sobbing at seeing hurts and pain. When Holy Spirit is poured out, we get to see people. I love the, the word Sawabona and a guy by the name of Rex Hunt, who leads a recovery center here in Umshlali. He was sharing with me the other day. He says, the word Sawabona means I see you. So it's such a beautiful greeting because it's, I see you. Remember, there was a, a pastor friend of mine who was out on holiday. He was tired. It had, it had been a long season. And, and the, the lady staying in the holiday flat next to them, his wife picked up that this woman was not okay. And she eventually called him and said, you know, sit and chat to this woman. So he's sitting at this, this picnic bench, and he's looking at this lady, and he feels God say, look at her eyes. He says, they're blue. He says, no, look at her eyes. Look into her eyes. They blue, Lord. He said, Look into her eyes. He said, in that moment, he looked into and he saw the hurt and the pain. We see this with, with um, Peter and John, I think it is, who are walking through to the temple gates. And there's the man who's begging. And, and, and it says, he said, look at me. He needed to acknowledge them as they saw him. Look at me. When the Holy Spirit is poured out, we get to see people. There's a young lady I see walking on the promenade quite regularly and, and I'm, I'm contending for the, the, the opportunity and I want Shanae to be with me to, just to go in and, and, and chat to this girl. But she's a young lady who walks and she studies as she's walking along. But you can see she's struggling with anorexia. And there's something of this that breaks my heart when I see her because you look at her and, and God's highlighting, see her, see the pain. But then what we do is we see the hope in the future. We see the, the, the opportunity for these people to encounter him and have the revelation that we have. It's amazing when Holy Spirit is poured out the wisdom that we get. When Peter spoke, he started to, to quote scripture from old. This is a, an unqualified man. He was not a, a rabbi. He was one of the guys that the rabbi said, don't follow me. So he went and did his, he worked in his dad's business. He wasn't kind of one of the, the scholars, yet he goes and he starts to unpack the old scriptures. He speaks 
with the heart of a rabbi. He speaks with the understanding. Why? Because the Spirit gave him utterance. When the Spirit is poured out, we get to speak prophetically. The Bible says, I will that you all prophesy. We get to speak prophetically. We get to speak life over things where there is no life. We get to look at the wounded and the broken and we say, but there is hope over your life. But it's hopeless. I've done too much wrong. I'm too broken. No, you're not. Because your past does not define you. Romans 8, it says, what can separate us from his love? Neither present nor future doesn't even mention past. Why? Because that's taken care of. Past is done with. But we get to prophetically speak over people. We get to walk in signs and wonders. It says that signs and wonders will follow those. Because when the Holy Spirit comes with power, you'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Signs and wonders follow. We were talking, my mom and I, the other day, and I remember um, we were driving one day and the, the, the traffic was veering off the side of the road. And we couldn't understand why. We were driving on the pavement and, and we looked down and there was a lady convulsing in the road. She had been knocked over by a car and the, the driver and some other guy were busy having an argument about the fact that this woman had been knocked over. But here she was lying in the middle of the street, blood pouring out from her head and she's convulsing. And, and we stop, we pull over, and, and in a moment we, we, we're there and, and we start trying to help her because what do you do? Everyone's just driving around her. And, and so we, we're now sitting there and I remember phoning my brother. I said, Bob, he's a doctor. I said, you go and guide me on what to do. And he said, stabilize her neck. So I remember sitting and I, and I'd taken my shirt off and I put my shirt underneath her head to try and stop the bleeding. And I was sitting with my knees next to her head. And I didn't know what to do. So all I did was I just prayed over her. And I prayed in tongues because I didn't even know what to pray. And eventually the paramedics arrived. And when the paramedics arrived, she was fully conscious, fully compass mentis. And, and they took her, they put a little bandage around her and took her to hospital. But she was fine. And I, I still ended up directing traffic, shirtless. And it's not like Durban. You've got to know, yeah, you can go to the shops without a shirt on. And it's, it's acceptable as a, as a guy. You know, this is, this is coastal town. This is in the heart of Joburg. But I was directing traffic around without a shirt on in Midrand. But I never understood. <laughs> so, but, but I didn't understand the significance of that moment. And it was only in retrospect I thought, jeez, Lord. I was convinced this woman was going to die on the street in front of her. She was convulsing. She was fully unconscious and she was lying there shaking. Yet there was something that happened. I didn't go there to pursue the signs and wonders. I didn't go there to... to, to it, it, was, it was so... It was just... Holy Spirit did something. And, and she left. Well... It was, it, it was just an amazing moment. And, and it says, signs and wonders will follow those. So as we step out in opportunity and as we do what God's called us to do, the signs and wonders follow. Galatians 5.25 says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit gets poured out, we get to walk in step with Him. 
The imagery that I always have when I think of this is the picture of a father's footsteps on the beach and their child's footsteps behind. And that you see, you often see it, you'll see an adult's footprint and this little kid's footprint in the middle of it as this kid walks in step with their parents. The Holy Spirit is not a blessing from God, He is God. And we get to walk in step with the Spirit. This, this passage, this, this scripture, this, this verse is in amongst the passage of scripture where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And saying, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. He will lead us to where we need to go. We will find ourselves in the right place at the right time. Shanae goes walking at the beach. I've shared the story before. But guy comes to ask for, for money. She thinks of silver and gold. How I know what I do have, I give to you. She prays for the guy and says, Lord, I just pray that you bless this man. A guy walks in from the parking lot around the corner and says, I just had God place on my heart. I need to give you money. And gives this guy money in the moment. Jeez, Lord, where did this come from? Holy Spirit, walk in step with the Spirit, and amazing things happen. Um, I was having coffee with Emmanuel the other day, and I went to go pay. And as I was walking, I felt God say to me, you've got to pay the bill for someone here. Jeez, Lord, where did so, Now I'm standing in, in uh, uh, Woolies at, at Junction. I'm looking around, and I see this elderly couple having breakfast. So I go to the lady, and I say, I'd like to pay for their breakfast, but please don't say anything. I don't want them to know it's me. Lo and behold, 15 minutes later, this elderly couple comes and finds us in the shop. And she said, did you pay for my breakfast? I said, yes, I did. This guy said, it's my 86th birthday today. And it's the first time that someone has ever paid for my meal. And I just want to say thank you. Holy Spirit does something. Now, for me, that's a sign and wonder. That's, that, that's, it blows my mind. And it, and it was simple because he's doing what he's doing. But we have the privilege of walking in step with the Spirit. I want to end off with this here. And we can go into our time of worship. I've taken a bit too long here anyway, but I think it's good. John 14, verse 12 to 17. And Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. It's a strange way of doing I'm leaving you, so you're going to do greater things because I'm going. It actually doesn't make sense. It says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. No, no, everything that we do, our purpose should be to bring glory to the Father. So we honor Jesus, brings glory to the Father. So we, as we go and we randomly pay for a stranger's bill, it brings glory to the Father. As we bring our little box and we stand in front of this person, and we just speak over them as the Spirit gives us utterance. And next minute, they go over to India and start spreading the gospel. And there's this, this multiplication, cross-border, ends-of-the-earth stuff. It brings glory. It says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And it goes on in verse 15. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I often say this is not a statement of manipulation, it's a statement of observation. The world uses this as a statement of manipulation. If you love me, you will do this. But it's not a statement of manipulation, it's a statement of observation. So if you look at a, a dog and you say, if that is a Jack Russell, it is a dog. You're not manipulating the Jack Russell into being a dog. You are merely observing that this happens to be a Jack Russell. And because Jack Russells are dogs, it has to be a dog. Statement of observation. And Jesus is saying, if you love me, 
You'll keep my commands because we cannot help but do it as a byproduct of the love that he has for us. So it's a statement of observation, not a statement of manipulation. And it says in verse 16, And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So this is why Jesus is saying, because I am going to the Father. He knows that when he goes to the Father, the Holy Spirit is going to come and dwell with us and we can walk in step with him. And as a byproduct of that, greater things will happen. Three years of ministry, 120 people, one day, 3,000. Why? Because Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father and the Spirit has been released. The, the, God himself dwells in us and through us. Now, I often say, for me, this is not just that we do greater works, but there's something of the fact that when Jesus was here, he was a man and he had 24 hours in a day. If there are 10 of us who live wholeheartedly for him, he's got 240 hours of a day in us. There's a million people, 24 million hours in a day for him to do things. That's why we can be here right now and there could be a person laying hands on a Someone who's dying in India right now and that person can see life. And there can be a group of people in China who in an underground church who are busy worshipping right now. And there could be a crusade happening in Mozambique right now. And thousands are being added to their number because he doesn't just have his 24 hours. He's got mine. He's got yours. He's got that person. He's got that crowd over there and he's got that one over there. And, and all of a sudden, He's got millions and millions of hours in a day to do incredible things as the kingdom starts to advance. So Lord Jesus, I just pray for our time this morning, Lord, as we spend time now in worship. I pray that you speak to our hearts. I pray that we will have a corporate and a personal encounter with you, King. Holy Spirit, I pray that you do something amazing. That you will fill this house, that you will overflow beyond here, into Palm Lakes, into Tinley Manor, into Belito. I pray that you raise up people that you distinguish to, to spark revival, Lord Jesus. Lord, this morning I, I cry out on our behalf, here we are, send us, Lord. Let us be so in step with you, Holy Spirit. That people see us, and when they see us, they, they see you, and they say, I want what they've got. Not for our glory, but for yours, King. So I pray for this time. I pray for this morning. I pray for this message. I pray, Lord, that you will bring a stirring in the depths of our hearts. That you will excite us. That you will release us. I pray for the people that we are contending for, Lord. I pray for those people where we see such fruit over their lives, like we, we can prophesy, we can see. We see that the, the, the fact that they would be such an asset in this kingdom, but yet they don't know you. I pray for them now, Lord Jesus, to have an encounter with you, wherever they are. 
harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray earnestly to the God of the harvest to send out workers. Lord, we pray earnestly to you this morning. Holy Spirit, reveal yourself in incredible ways. And Lord, thank you for the privilege of being fully immersed in who you are. Pray for each one of us. Pray for Emmanuel and John as they travel and they've been released to cross borders. Pray for your anointing over them. I pray that, that, that you will speak to them. That they will hear the gentleness of your whisper. I pray for favor in their, in their meetings. I pray for opportunity in their meetings. Pray that they'll be faithful in planting seeds where they are. We'll hear testimonies to come. It so happened. It so happened that Emmanuel is in Ireland at this time. Bless this time, Lord Jesus, as we give you praise, as we give you glory, as we worship you, Holy Spirit, more of you. I pray in Jesus' name.